Now, I might have mentioned this a year or two ago, but I was listening to a, a man give a lecture. I don't know, it was a while back, and sometimes I like to listen to little videos on people speak and different topics and so on and so forth. And in this man's speech, he said something to the effect of, there, there is really, there's no bottom to the stories, especially the first few stories we find in Genesis. You talk about the, the creation story, the, the fall of mankind story, the, the Cain and Abel story. And, and there's no bottom to those stories. And after thinking about that for a good while, you know what, I will, I will state that I agree with that. There is no bottom to those stories. And what I mean by saying there's no bottom to the stories in Genesis, it means there are so many truths that can emerge from those first few chapters of Genesis that one can't possibly say, hey, I finally have discovered everything that's in there. I've got it all figured out. That cannot be said. You could just continue to dig and dig and dig, and more truths will emerge. They're so profound. You know, I believe this. But these first few chapters of Genesis, they capture human nature in a way that leads one to believe that Genesis is divine in its origins. It is divine. What I mean by that is, it did not come from man. These writings did not come from man. They may have come through a man, but they did not originate from that man. I truly, truly believe that the book of Genesis did not come from a man. It is attributed to Moses. He wrote it, but it was under the direction of the Holy Spirit. It's inspiration. These writings are divine. They came from God. They teach us things. They impart wisdom to any who might seek after it. Now, obviously, I haven't been preaching nearly as long as Pastor Joe. Pastor Joe, it's good to have you back with us this morning and the rest of my family. But I haven't nearly been preaching as long as Pastor Joe. But even in my short time of preaching... I've noticed that I've probably preached a dozen sermons at least out of these first few chapters of Genesis. I just seem to gravitate towards them. I, I just enjoy them so much. And I think there's so many truths that emerged from those first few chapters. Another one is going to emerge from them first few chapters this morning. And this one, it is a very big deal. It's a big deal because what we're going to talk about this morning is very pervasive in our culture today. Very, very pervasive and it emerges to us from Genesis chapter 3. Now, as we read, I got a little bit of a reading. I'm going to do 13, 14 scriptures or so, half a chapter. But as I read, I want you to remember, these are not stories to entertain us. Like you're reading a novel or something like that. Or like you're flipping through the pages of a magazine. That's not the intention of the Bible to entertain the intention of the Bible is to communicate truths to us. Remember, there are divinely inspired writings to communicate things to us. That's what the Bible is for. Now, we're going to start reading in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. 
For God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Verse 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Verse 7 says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the midst of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou should not eat? And the man said, The woman who thou gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And our last verse 13 says, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Now this is generally referred to, brothers and sisters, as the fall of mankind. This is where sin enters, and its curse, and all that comes with us, it enters the world through the fall of mankind, through the disobedience of mankind. Now, most of us know all this. I know that. We, we know this from a Sunday school age. We know this story. Now, there are so many things that we could focus on this morning, but we only really have time for one of them from this passage this morning. Adam and Eve are given this clear direction from God. Here is this tree. It produces fruit. It's in the midst of the garden. Don't eat it. Don't touch it. Lest ye die. Very clear command. Okay? Don't eat of this tree. The, the serpent comes and he tricks Eve. He, and he does indeed. He comes to Eve. He deceives her and ends up they both eat of this forbidden fruit. God told them not to. They eat it. Well, then God comes and he's going to ask some questions. Now, I've kind of preached about those questions from before. We won't completely concentrate on them today. But God's going to come around and he's going to want some answers. Because he, he's God. He already knows what happens. But he's going to ask and he's going to give Adam an opportunity to explain himself. To see if he fesses up. To see if he's honest. So he comes and he asks some, some questions. And he says, where are you, Adam? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eat of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Now, we're getting to the part that I, I truly believe that God would have us focus on. That, that verse 12 there. God asks these questions. And, and then we come to Adam's response. And, and this is what I want us to look at today. And the man said, The woman that thou gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And, and the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Now you'll notice from those two verses, you'll notice that Adam, he blames the woman, doesn't he? God says, what is this that thou hast done? Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? And what is Adam's response? The woman, the woman that you gave me, she, she is the one. It, it's her fault, Lord. You want to find someone to blame? It's not my fault. It is her fault. 
it is, if she would not have given me that fruit, God, we wouldn't be having this conversation. If she wouldn't have been tricked by E or by Satan, by the serpent, we wouldn't be having this problem. If she wouldn't have done this, if she wouldn't have given it to me, we wouldn't be having this conversation. There would be no problem. You want someone to blame God, it's her fault. And if you also, if you look at his response, Adam implicates God in an indirect way. He, he says, the woman that you gave me, God. Lord, you're the one that thought I needed a companion. I never said I needed a companion. You thought that I needed a companion. All I know, Lord, you want some answers? All I know is I fell into a deep sleep. I woke up and you brought this woman to me. If you wouldn't have done that, we wouldn't be in this situation, Lord. So, so Adam is, is pointing the fingers. You, you see the, the finger pointing emerging. Implicating God. The woman, the woman that you gave me, it, it, Adam said, this is not my fault. This, I am not the one to blame. I've got nothing in this. You want to know whose fault it is? It's her fault. And Lord, really? I think it's partly your fault because you gave her to me. It's the finger pointing. So, so God moves on and he asks Eve, Eve, what is this thou hast done? What does Eve say? The, the serpent beguiled me. It's his fault. This ain't my fault. He tricked me. He's a crafty one, Lord, isn't he? Look, he made me all these promises. He showed it to me. You know, if he wouldn't have put it right there in my face, I might not have ate it. He, he's a tricky one. He, he deceived me. He made me all these promises. He said I could be real wise like you. Lord, I just want to be like you. I, I admire you so much. I want to be like you. So it's more of this finger pointing, more excuses. You see fingers pointing in every direction. It, it's fingers pointed in every direction. It's her fault. It's your fault. It's his fault. It's God's fault. It's the serpent's fault. There, there's fingers pointing in every direction, brothers and sisters. We see finger pointing. No one, notice, no one accepts responsibility for their own action. No one comes clean to God and says the actual truth that, Lord, you said not to and I did. I don't know what to tell you. I have messed up. I repent. I confess it to you. Nobody does that. What they do is, is so basic to our fallen human nature, it's the finger pointing. Not me. Not me. No, no, no. It was them. You want some answers? It was her. It was the serpent. She tricked us. Now, I always like to ask myself questions. What can we learn from these scriptures? What can we take away? What is God trying to teach us by these two scriptures here? You know, we have these Bible verses where we see all these fingers getting pointed all over the place. What is God trying to tell us? What is emerging from us before us this morning? I, I just wonder, just wonder if the Lord, maybe he's possibly trying to communicate to us this morning that Maybe we ought to take responsibility when we screw up. Maybe we ought to own up to it when we make a mess. Maybe we ought to stop blaming other people for our own problems. When we screw up, quit blaming other people. It's my husband's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my parents' fault. If they would have raised me differently, I might have turned out differently. So it's their fault. You want to know why I'm this way? It's because of them. It's because of him. It's because of her. Always blaming someone else, fingers pointing everywhere. Brothers and sisters, it's your fault. If you act like a fool, stop blaming other people. Stop making other, blaming other people and take accountability for the way that you act. The Bible is teaching us here. 
Notice where we're at in the Bible. We're clear at the beginning. We only started a few pages into it. The Bible is teaching us here that mankind has been finger pointing, has been blaming people since the dawn of time. The Lord just got done creating this whole thing and we're up here going, his fault, her fault, your fault. I, I read earlier this week this uh, a psychologist, and I, I can't remember his name. He said mankind needs four basic things to survive and to live. It was food, water, shelter, and someone to blame. Since creation, we have been going like this. Lord, you want some answers? There. That dude right over there. He's the reason why all this is going on in my life. He's the one. She's the one to blame. It's the government's fault. It's that Joe Biden. If we had a different president, I wouldn't be acting like this. It's the teacher's fault. It's the education system's fault. Fingers pointing in every direction. Never back at ourselves. We notice we're barely three chapters into the Bible and this, this lesson is being revealed to us from God. Notice where it's at in the Bible. The Word is teaching us stop pointing fingers at people before we even get to the Ten Commandments. But before we even get to anything about the flood, before Father Abraham, one of the most prominent figures in the Bible, before Moses even comes onto the scene, the Lord is telling us, stop pointing the fingers. Take responsibility for the way that you act. It's one of the first lessons in the Bible. The Word of God reveals to us that mankind Loves to blame everyone else for their mistakes. It's the white man's fault. It's the black man's fault. It's men's fault. It's women's fault. It's those minorities' fault. It's the rich people. It's the poor people. Always, it's the middle class. Fingers pointing everywhere. In every direction. All around. You know, I had a teacher... In elementary school, and I, I'm an extremely forgetful person. My wife constantly has to remind me things. She makes out our schedule so I don't forget things. I'm very forgetful, but I can still remember to this day in elementary school, and I was getting to be a long time ago for me anymore. In elementary school, I remember one of our principals. Man, she was a good one. Mrs. Mrs. Martin was her name, and you didn't mess around with Mrs. Martin. But she, she came and she told us one time, you know, people were blaming you know, someone got busted for something, and, and people were blaming people. And she, she taught us, she said, you know what, every time you point the finger at someone else, recognize there's three fingers pointing right back at you. And I never forgot that. There's a lot of truth to that. Always blaming someone else. And I just, ironically enough, in this situation here, we're reading about the fall of Adam and Eve, sin coming into the world. No one comes clean and accepts responsibility for what they did. No one. It's, it's the finger pointing. Adam ate the forbidden fruit. Was God unclear with his command? Was, was it confusing to him? Was it confusing to her? S see if you can understand this. Don't eat of this fruit. Don't touch this fruit. If you do, you will die. I think that's pretty clear, don't you? I might go so far as to say a kindergarten would be able to understand that, would be able to comprehend what that means. Stay away from this or something bad will happen. 
But Adam and Eve, they act like they play no responsibility in what happened. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Not me. I was tricked. I was deceived. They act like they play no part in it. Uh-uh. They're pointing the blame at someone else. Eve, if you look at Eve's response, she does the same thing. Deflect. Blame. Redirect. Implicate. Criticize. Someone else. Someone else. Brothers and sisters, li- listen to me now. We still do this, don't we? We still do this. This was written millennium ago. Thousands of years. Centuries and centuries and centuries ago. We are professional blamers. Since this was written, we have perfected our craft. We've gotten better at it. Why is that? Because nobody reads or studies their Bible. We don't even know these lessons. We have become pros. And I make no distinction between church people and unchurched people. We are professional blamers. This is the big leagues of blaming. Deflecting, blaming, implicating, criticizing. Not me, ain't my fault. Uh Uh-uh. We wouldn't be here if this guy over here didn't act like a jerk. We wouldn't have any of these problems, Pastor. Since this was written several thousand years ago, we've improved at blaming others. We've perfected our craft. You know, I just think about my boys growing up. My wife and I bust them with something. We find something in a room or whatever it is, and we bust them down. We call them on the carpet. Hey, get up here. Hey, we found this. Give me an, give me an explanation. Not mine. Mm-mm. Oh, it was found in your room. You suggesting I put it there? Yeah, it ain't mine. It ain't mine. Check my brother. Probably was him. He probably planted the evidence here. I ain't got nothing in it. It's, it's, it's our basic human nature, isn't it? It's fallen nature. Not me. Go better go check him. The neighborhood boys, when they would run around. Remember one time a kid got hit in the head with a rock? And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. We don't know. Must have been an asteroid come out of the sky or something like that. Hit someone on the head. Not me. I got nothing in this, Dad. Nothing. <laughs> Do you see how these, these teachings from Genesis are so fundamental to who we are? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You start studying your Bible and you will walk away and you'll say, uh, that's a divine book. That's what will happen to you. Do you see these? This emerges to us just out of two little scriptures. If it's one thing I've seen as a pastor, even though I haven't been doing this for tons of years, it's that people refuse to believe it's their fault. They refuse to believe it. And I am talking about church people. You know, it, it's, it's funny. It's like people act like it's a foreign concept if you suggest maybe they're to implicate. They're, they're the ones to blame. Huh? Me? What are you talking about? What, what in the world? No, 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 not me. Not me. Go, go find him. He needs the pastor's attention. Not me. There's no problems here. All is good. All my ducks are in a row. No, 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 no. I notice it in my own marriage. My wife and I get into this little thing. And in the midst of that little argument, 
I am 110% convinced she is wrong. She is in the wrong. I am correct this time. I'm just going to hang out, wait for her to realize this, come and apologize to me, and then we can move forward because she's 100% wrong. I am so right, and that's just how it is. And then time goes by. I calm down a little bit. The pesky Holy Spirit comes and taps you on the shoulder. Hey, uh, are you sure you didn't play a part in this? Well, Lord, you saw she was grumpy and she just made a remark at me, so that's why I said what I said. It's true, isn't it? In the moment, I'm 100% convinced it is all her, it's her. And then the Spirit of God comes and says, well, uh, I might be inclined to disagree with you, my son. It couldn't possibly be me, not me. Now, I don't make mistakes like that. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm well refined. I'm beyond those things. No, 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 those petty little, petty little tiffs, that, that's not from me. No. God disagrees. He disagrees. People make a giant mess out of their lives. And it's amazing to me that the thought never crosses their mind that this could possibly be their own fault. Never even crosses their mind. There's a scripture. I'm sorry, Booth, I didn't give you this one. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. It's saying you, you better check yourselves. You better look on the inside. You better go to a mirror and look deeply into the mirror at the one that's staring back at you and try to find the problems because that's where the problems lies. The one looking at you in the mirror. Examine yourself. Whether you be in the faith, you better prove your own self. Well, if my parents would have raised me differently, they didn't love me like I felt I needed love. Well, if I was born to a more affluent family, maybe if we had a little bit more money. Well, if I had a better pastor, he didn't hug me enough. I've been counting how many times, and I saw him hug her 16 times this year and me only 13 times this year. It's his fault. He's no good. Well, if the church did things a little bit differently, we might not have this problem. If you did more things that I liked, then I would come more oftenly. It's your fault that I'm not here today. We have lost the ability, and I do say lost the ability to self-reflect. We, 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 it's a foreign concept to look within ourselves and say, is it me? Could I be the problem here? We've lost that ability because it's, it's foreign to us. Not me. Not me. We, we, we fail to ask ourselves, what role did I play in this? What role did I play? Boy, when you pray and you ask God to reveal things, you better be careful because he just might. All this... All this just excuses. It's all excuses. All the finger pointing. They're all excuses. We can't even make it three chapters into the Bible before the Almighty God teaches us that our fallen nature loves to blame other people. Even now. I wonder how many folks right now in your heart of hearts are thinking about how someone else needs to hear this sermon right now. Uh-huh. I wish my husband was more awake right now. 
man, I hope this guy's paying attention down there in the third row or the fourth row. I mean, after all, he couldn't possibly be talking about me, could he? We'll go to Exodus chapter 32, and this is where the law is given. And we know the story. Moses is going to go up onto Mount Sinai, and God is going to write with his finger. He's going to write the Ten Commandments. Remember, we just went over the Ten Commandments months ago. He's going to write them with his own finger on those Ten Commandments. But if you remember, Mount Sinai, the presence of God is very thick there. There's thunders and lightnings and the children of Israel, they're afraid. They're like, uh-uh, Moses, you can go on up there. We'll just stay safe down here because he, he's scary up there. And so Moses goes up, and, and Aaron, his brother, is down with all the rest of the Israelites. And they're down at the base of the mountain. Well, it takes Moses a little while to come back. You know how we are. If things don't go to our time schedule, we get out of whack. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. It says, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, the people gathered themselves unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people broke off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. Verse 4 says, and he received them at their hand and fashioned it with engraving tool after he made it a molten calf. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Brothers and sisters, you, have you ever observed and seen that it doesn't go very well for us human beings when we worship false gods, does it? doesn't usually end up very good when we deify anything else. Other than the almighty God. It does not go good for civilizations, for cultures, for nations, for, for bodies of people of any type. When we start deifying a, another entity as God and worshiping anything other than the almighty. But I like to look back at that verse 4. Because it, it leads me to believe that Aaron, it, whether it was him or he had some craftsmen or some guys that were good at working with metal. It, it leads me to believe that they take all this gold in. And they melt it down. It says, and he fashioned it. That, that means he, he made it. That someone made it. Maybe Aaron or his guys or whatever. They made it. And it even says they had an engraving tool. Okay, so they engrave this thing. They're working on it. Okay? He, he, like he chiseled it or like he formed it or whatever. That's what verse 4 kind of speaks to me. Well, Moses finally comes back. And we won't read it all because it's kind of a long story. But Moses is coming back. He has these two tablets in his hand. He just got the law of God. He's coming down, and he hears singing, worshiping. And he comes a little closer, and he sees them worshiping this golden calf, this molten calf. And he's angry. He actually takes the Ten Commandments and slams them. They break on the ground. Later, God had to rewrite them. And Moses, he wants some answers. He wants some answers. He's going to ask some answers. Okay? At any time there's questions being asked, it's the perfect moment to deflect and blame to someone else. So let's see what happens here. Exodus chapter 32, skip down to verse 22. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. 
Verse 24 says, And I said unto them, Whosoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they said, So they give it to me. Then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Do, do you notice? It, it is, it's kind of funny, isn't it? It makes us laugh a little bit, but Aaron's immediate reaction. Moses is angry, slams them Ten Commandments down, breaks them all up, and he wants some answers. What does Aaron do? Don't be mad at me, Moses. You know these people. They're a mischievous lot of people. Look at them. They're always up to something no good. I agree with you, Moses. We should be angry. Just don't be angry at me because I got nothing in this. It's the people. It's the people. He deflects. He blames someone else. Not me. Not me, Moses. I, real, I realize you understand. I realize you're trying to get us to worship God. I, I realize it, but this ain't my fault. It's these people's fault. They're a mischievous lot. Don't be mad at me. They're always up to It's more finger pointing, isn't it? It's more finger. It's them. It's the people. They're, they're a, a rambunctious lot. His immediate reaction is to blame the people like he has nothing in it. He doesn't own up to anything. Mm-mm, not me. Couldn't possibly be me. I know you're not mad at me, right? You know, I think it's funny. He, he doesn't even own up to the molten calf, does he? He tries to play stupid. Like, we melted down the gold. We, we threw it in the fire. It melted down, and out came this calf. D- didn't we just read back in verse 4? It said he had an engraving tool. Didn't, didn't we just read in verse 4? It said he fashioned it. Somebody made this thing. Somebody was working on this thing. And now here we are. Oh, we just threw this gold in there and out came this calf. I mean, it just was magic. Deflecting, blaming, not me. I didn't make this thing. Uh Uh-uh, you ain't going to lay the blame at my feet. Somebody else's fault, not me. I got nothing in this. Another failure to look in the mirror to see where the blame lies. Aaron is deflecting. Like he doesn't have any responsibility in the whole entire matter. Not me. Not my fault. Uh Uh-uh. Brothers and sisters, listen to me now. Own up to your faults. Own up to them. Be a real man of God. Or be a real woman of God. When you mess up, own up to it. Own up to your faults. Confess them to God. Ask the Lord Jesus to forgive you. Don't act like you walk around perfect and you don't make any mistakes. You will never be perfect until you're glorified up there in heaven. We will always wrestle with this sinful fleshly nature. Sometimes, this is embarrassing, but when I get in trouble from my wife, she calls me Mr. Perfect. You think you're Mr. Perfect. We laugh, but is that not our nature? It is. It ain't me. It's, it's you. It's her. Him. Them. Not me. Listen to me now. Here's what will happen to you if you blame everyone else. You want to go on with your life blaming everyone else. You will never grow in the Lord. You will never make progress in the things of God. Never. Ever, you will spend your life blaming other people for your shortcomings. That is exactly what will happen to you. You will never learn your weaknesses because you will never recognize that you have any weaknesses. You will never, ever allow the Spirit to work through your failures. 
You will never allow the Lord to come in to prune you. You know the Bible teaches a pruning process. It's called sanctification. He comes and he trims these branches that are dead off of you. He comes and says, oh, you need to produce some more fruit for me. You need to glorify me even more so. Snip, snip, snip. But when you blame other people, as you push God's hands away and you say, hey, there ain't any snipping that needs done here. I'm already operating at, at, at maximum efficiency. Don't even need to go through that process. You'll deny the Lord the opportunity to shape you. Is he not the potter and are you not the clay? The clay has no right to stop the hand of the potter. You'll deny God the right to point things out in you. My child, this needs to go. My child, I don't like this in you. My child, I need to get rid of this habit. This needs to come out of you. I don't want you watching that. I don't want you saying that. I don't want you doing that. I don't want you going there. And when you just are blaming everyone else, you're pushing God's hands away. I don't need that. There, there's no problem here. No problem here. Ultimately, what it just means is you will never be able to be close with God. You will never have a close relationship with the Lord God. Blaming everyone else it is a form of self-deceit. That, that's what it is. It is lying to yourself. It is dishonesty with one's self. It is self-deception. This world is deceiving enough, let alone us deceiving our own selves. The one that blames everyone else, the one that never refuses or that always refuses to accept responsibility, you will be stuck in an endless cycle of blame. It'll be like a circle going round and round and round, clear up until you're dead and we're shoveling dirt on your grave. You will never come out of it. You'll always be pointing fingers. It's their fault. It's his fault. Her fault. That is what will happen to you. You'll be stuck in a circle, a never-ending cycle of finger pointing. Proverbs you know, the, the book of wisdom, the book of wise sayings, it teaches us this. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says, He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Brothers and sisters, go ahead. Hide your sins. Act like you didn't commit them. Act like you didn't do them. S slide them under the rug. Pull the rug over top of them. Ain't nothing to see here. Look, my room's clean. All is well. Move on to the next guy because I hear he's got some issues that need worked on. But over here, it's all good. You go ahead and hide your sins. Act like you, did them. you didn't do them. You will never prosper. You will never prosper. You will never make progress in your life. You will be stuck walking in circles for the rest of your life if you don't start accepting responsibility for the things that you've done. You'll never make progress. You know what Jesus teaches us? You come to the New Testament, in his Sermon on the Mount, he actually teaches us the opposite of blaming everyone else. He says it in this sentence. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, the, the poor in spirit, they are the people that realize that they need saved. The poor in spirit are those that embrace the fact, I've messed up. They have looked in the mirror and they've said, it's me. It's me. The fault lies at my feet. 
My hands have blood on them. It's my fault. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. It is to accept your faults, to acknowledge them, and to confess them before Christ. The poor in spirit, they don't try to hide the fact that they've sinned. They don't try to hide it. They humbly accept their sinful state, and they come to the Master. Jesus says, those people, their reward is the kingdom of heaven. The ones that can look within themselves genuinely and say, I think it's me. I think it's me. I think I played a part in this. I think I I share some of the blame. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And you'll be rewarded with the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know really what that kind of ultimately means is you'll be happy. Happiness will be the end result of the person that admits they need a Savior. I need Jesus. I need Him because I'm a sinner. Happiness is their end result for the person that admits they need a Savior and they made mistakes. They will be blessed. Their life will be blessed. There will be blessings in their home, blessings in their family. If they're man enough or woman enough to look in the mirror, I'll see that it's them. It's me. It's me. I'm going to bring this to a close. I invite the band to make their way back. But I pray to God that you see through the story of the fall that the word is trying to teach us stop blaming other people. Now, the sad fact, because we live in a fallen world, maybe you were abused. Maybe you were. Maybe that is a factual thing for your life. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you did have a bad childhood. Maybe you did get ripped off and it made you sour. Maybe someone did turn their back on you. Maybe you did get cheated or treated poorly. Maybe some of those things did indeed happen to you so that when you point at someone else, they did do that. And it is factual. They did it. But the Bible's teaching us that we can still, we still cannot let the misdeeds of others be our excuse. You know why? Because the blood of Jesus is stronger than a bad childhood. The, the, the power of the gospel is more powerful than a mom and dad that didn't love you enough. It's more powerful than that. God is mightier than the one that scarred you. The one that scarred you, he can't be your excuse. She can't be your excuse. Because God can heal those. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. Brothers and sisters, let's stand. And as we do, remember, let go of excuses and stop the blame game. Amen? Father God, we thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord God. And I just pray, Lord, as as we go into one last worship song, Lord, that this message finds place in our heart, Lord God. That every last individual here would, would take this into themselves, Lord. That we would truly look into the spiritual mirror of life. And Lord, we would look at that reflection and truly have the Holy Spirit try us and search our hearts and see if there be any evil way found in us, Lord. Like the psalm says, 
Lord, I pray you search every single person this morning. That they would allow you to search them. That they would stop blaming others, Lord God. That I would stop blaming others, Lord. That we would regain that skill of self-reflection, Lord. That we would examine ourselves this morning to see if we'd be found in the faith. And Lord, I pray that this message is settled in our hearts, Lord. And that we forevermore remember it, Lord. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. These altars are open. Let's worship, church. Amen.